Thank you, Rick. Be turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 18. Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Glad all of you came today. This is a good crowd today. Had a good crowd in Sunday school. Thank you for coming to church. And, of course, please remember tonight that we will be canceling the services tonight. Uh, of course, J.D. serves at 2 o'clock. Uh, the barrel is down at Hepzibah. We'll take quite some time to get down there. And the family has said it was much more convenient for them to eat supper here than eating lunch in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, in a view of the fact of uh, how long the procession will be and so forth, it will push us pretty late even getting back here. And that way the family's not rushed. Our crew in the kitchen is not rushed. They'll be helping out serve the food. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to ask that you would just make an extra effort to be at the funeral. Now, J.D., of course, all his kids and grandkids are all down in the Houston area. Up in this part of the country, uh, J.D., of course, had Millie in the nursing home and some nephews and some nieces. Uh, we were pretty much the bulk of his family. The family, his children, have been touched by how well our church has loved J.D. And we all love J.D. And many people have come and told me different things about J.D. and how much you appreciate his smile and so forth. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Uh, if you, of course, have something you would like for me to mention about J.D., how he touched your life or some special way uh, that you appreciate him, uh, let me know it. Write it down and hand it to me. It would be great if a couple of our guys would get up and speak. I'm not going to open up the floor, but if you say, yeah, I'll step up and say something about J.D., let me know. I'll call you up today at the stand, but I want to be sure uh, that I hear from you because he touched a lot of lives, and he was always pleasant. He was always kind. He was, he was always uh, on an even keel, and we all appreciated uh, J.D., and his family would appreciate, and they were touched by those of you who came to the visitation last night. They've just been touched by the love that they see in this church toward uh, such a loving guy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Christmas story, and we thank you that this story is relevant all year long, and this story is relevant through all of eternity. Help us to see your truths for our hearts and our lives and our generation today. 
Father, we come together with joys, but also there's pains, there's, there's concerns, there's worries, and I ask that you would be with each heart here, direct, and just for a few moments, our attention to you, and unmistakably have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you've been here any number of years at all, you may have recognized the pattern that on the first Sunday of December, we start reading from the Christmas story. And we also often start reading from the Christmas story the various passages in chronological order, and especially the announcements that were made to those involved at the Christmas story. And these announcements came from God. Now, we started, of course, with the announcement uh, to, to Joseph. And you say, man, you're out of order. Because we know there was an announcement that came before this. Actually, two announcements. Because there was the announcement that came to Zacharias about the birth of John the Baptist. And this is all wrapped up with the coming of Christ as well. Because you understand that Elizabeth was a cousin to Mary. And then after that, the angel came to Mary. So it might seem that reading this passage of Scripture, we've got it all out of chronological order. But however, this passage of Scripture contains an announcement that came before all of the other ones. We're focused, of course, on the announcement that came to Joseph. But couched within this announcement, the angel, of course, starts mentioning some things. And then Matthew, as he writes this down, says... Aha, this was all brought to pass according to the prophet that says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, which prophet was that? Well, as it appears, we don't have to take a break from the book of Isaiah to talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 7. This is one of the first announcements in chronological order about the coming of Jesus. Before the announcement to Mary, before the announcement to Joseph, before the announcement to the shepherds, before the announcement to Zacharias, way back 700 years before that, we have an announcement that God made. Hey, a baby's coming, and he announces it through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7 Look in verse 10, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey shall he eat, that he may know and refuse the good and evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings." There's a lot in this passage of Scripture. And a lot in this passage of Scripture speaks to our hearts today. First of all, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. 
Now the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz, king of Israel. Now the preceding verses tell us that Ahaz is troubled by two enemies. The first one would be expected. That's a foreign enemy, the king of Syria, is threatening the kingdom and the regime of Ahaz. But then the other one's quite by surprise. The next one is the king of Judah. If you remember, the Hebrew people are split off to two kingdoms. They're basically still the Hebrew people. But because of the disobedience of Solomon, those two kingdoms are split up. It's almost like a civil war divided the kingdom. Well, there's the other Hebrew king, the king of Judah, who has conspired with the king of Syria, and now both of them are plaguing Ahaz. So he's got troubles. He's got troubles from foreigners. He's got troubles from basically his own countrymen. And Ahaz is invited to hear from God. The Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask yourself a sign from your God. Ask God what you need to do. And then it says, Ahaz reported, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now that last statement sounds like that he's kind of a little bit spiritual here and he's not going to test God. Well, he's not asking him to test God. He's asking him to seek some direction from God. When it says, you ask a sign from God, he said, uh, Ahaz, why don't you ask God what you should be doing about these two threats? Why don't you take this to God and pray about it? Why don't you ask God for some guidance here and ask God for some help? Ahaz said, not interested. I'm not interested in what God has to say. Now, we may never verbalize that, but sometimes we act as if we're a lot like Ahaz. We're not interested in what God has to say. We live in a culture that's not interested in what God has to say. However, God issues his word anyway. And that's the beautiful thing about God. God needs nobody's permission, acknowledgement to be God. He's going to be God. So he issues his word anyway, and he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, now who is this that he's talking about? Now, scholars may say, or somebody said, wait a minute. He's talking about this immediate problem here. So is he talking about somebody that's going to be born in the immediate future to help out with this? And it says something about, behold, curds and honey shall he eat. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with the fact that curds... And honey was bare subsistence diet. This is an agricultural uh, community and, and society. And when you're down to the fact where you're eating curds and honey, you're eating just what's left over from the flock and what you can find in the field with the honey. It was talking about someone who would grow up in poverty. Somebody who would grow up without a lot. And before we say, well, he's got to be thinking about somebody in the immediate future. In verse 16, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. And it's talking about being a coming of age where a child begins to think for himself. The land which you dread shall be forsaken by both their kings. What he's saying is this. Ahaz, a lot of the things that we're dealing with right now, these things will happen before this child is born. 
So he actually speaks to the fact we're dealing with something that was going to happen in the indefinite future. And so we understand this did not happen in the immediate future, and this was going to happen in the indefinite future. And so when Matthew penned the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he talks about Mary being found with child before she had ever been with Joseph or any other man, he says, that's it. That's exactly what Isaiah said in his announcement. Isaiah said, the virgin shall be with child. It will be a miracle. And we're reading here, of course, of what happened as you read through the gospel accounts. And he says, that's what he was talking about. 700 years ago, we never knew what he was talking about until right now. He was talking about Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the birth of the Messiah. But then let's go ahead and continue on in chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. But in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Matthew reports in chapter 4, verse 15, hey, that's talking about Jesus. Because where did he grow up? He grew up in Galilee. Chapter in verse 6 and 7 of the same chapter. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. It's an announcement of a baby that's going to be born. In chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. It's talking about a shoot coming up from the stump of a cut down tree. Jesse, of course, is the father of David. David's regime had been cut down. Out of the throne of David will come forth a branch, a shoot, and that branch is Jesus Christ. It's quite interesting. Matthew points to this as well. A branch shall grow out of its roots. In Matthew, it talks about they were from Nazareth. Nazareth. And it says, it will be brought to pass the saying that is written by the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, you start reading through the prophets, you don't see the word Nazarene. Now, where does it say in the prophets that he'll be called a Nazarene? It says right here, a branch 
shall grow out of his roots. The word for branch in the Hebrew language is nesar. He shall be called a netzarine, a branch. Matthew knew his Bible. Matthew knew his language. And Matthew said, that's who they're talking about. We continue on in verse 10. And that day shall be the root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Over and over in the book of Isaiah, did you know there are 16 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ? And so as we start walking through the book of Isaiah, you might say, well, we've got to take a break from Isaiah so we can talk about Jesus. Absolutely not. In the book of Isaiah, the whole book is talking about Jesus Christ. And what does the angel say about this? What does the Lord say through Isaiah about this coming child? He says pretty much this. The events that's occupying your attention and the events that are occupying the attention of the nation. In verse 2 it says, It was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. His heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods were moved in the wind. The whole country was shook up. In what Isaiah says, as through the word of the Lord says this, these events that are totally consuming the attention of your nation will be forgotten in obscurity when this child comes. The events that seem to be the most earth-shattering events of all of history and that have just pretty much shaking the roots of the whole world, this changes everything. And he says, you know, these will be considered as nothing with the news of this coming child. And did you know this has been repeated countless times through the centuries? Countless times through the centuries, empires have come. And empires have come that says we're the one. And we're the one that surpasses all empires. In fact, we're the empire that surpasses God. And the Roman Empire tried to be that. And tried as they might to stamp out Christianity, they thought they would be the ones who would surpass God. In fact, they even coined, uh, stuck a coin that says Christianity is gone, pretty much. Where's the Roman Empire? It's gone. Through the years, other empires have come and gone. They rose and they fell. Through the years... Developments have come up that have occupied the whole world that says this changes everything. There came a time when the Europeans excelled at ocean exploration. And they excelled so much at ocean exploration, they found a whole new world. And they found that whole new world and said, this changes everything. This is not mentioned in the scriptures, although it is mentioned in the scriptures. But they said, since we found this whole new world, our concept of the whole universe has changed. This changes everything about God. And of course, then they found a new nation. America came on. And then America became the strongest nation in the world. And then 
In the strongest nation in the world, technology took place. Do you recall reading in the history books when the steam locomotive was invented? And they were talking about this iron horse that could propel humans along this rail at 35 miles an hour. Doctors had to deliberate whether the human body could take that. This changes everything. Then Kitty Hall. Flight. Man has learned to fly. Wow. This changes everything. Then, of course, the space race. We can leave Earth and go to the moon. This changes everything. Look at what we've done. This has consumed everything. And science and technology over and over and over has led people to come to this conclusion. We, as humanity, have outgrown God. And scientists, especially in the recent years, have said, God is irrelevant. Darwin came along. Stephen Hawking came along. And all of them said, look at what we've discovered. God is totally irrelevant. And, you know, back in the 1700s, one of the brightest minds came to that conclusion. His name was Francois Something or another. He was a Frenchman, but we know him as Voltaire. Voltaire was brilliant. Everyone thought he was a celebrity. You know what Voltaire said? He said, in a hundred years, the Bible will be swept into the dustbin of history. Well, people so well, Voltaire says it. I mean, he's the best and brightest humanity has to offer. He's a thinker. He's sophisticated. He is sharp. Well, what happened in a hundred years? In a hundred years, the French Bible Society was looking for a building because people needed Bibles. They wanted Bibles. It was growing. They needed a building. They needed a building because the Bible Society was expanding. And they looked around in France and they found a building. And a hundred years after Voltaire said the Bible be swept into the dustbin of history, they opened the French Bible Society in his house. <laughs> his house was vacant. And the Bible was still relevant. And over and over, humanity has said, we have outgrown God. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've discovered. We're going to Mars. We've swept aircraft out of the universe and spacecraft to the regions of, of, of the solar system. Look at how smart we are. But what happens every December? Who are we thinking about? It's not Voltaire. It's not science. It's not technology. We are still riveted and fixed our attention on Jesus Christ. Every year, everything else is swept into obscurity. Why is that? Everything else is temporary. Empires come and go. It's temporary. The latest and greatest technology is now obsolete. I, I don't suppose you could buy a steam engine, could you? Oh, you can't even buy an eight-track tape. What are we I'm talking about? <laughs> but at one time, wasn't that the latest and best? And everybody talking about computers know how wonderful they are. All of this temporary. All of this will be obsolete. What is still relevant after 2,000 years? That was relevant 700 years before that. Behold, God will give you a sign. 
And a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Why is that still relevant? Because unlike everything else we've talked about, Jesus Christ is eternal. In the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Isaiah is not the only one to issue forth announcements concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. It's quite telling that these announcements that were made hundreds of years before the birth of Christ were fulfilled to the exact detail with the birth of Christ, including the place where he was born. But as we look at the place where he was to be born, there's something else that we need to know. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel. Listen to this. Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Whose goings forth is from of old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ is relevant today because Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ did not come into existence in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ simply came to live here 2,000 years ago. He just changed his address. Jesus has always lived because his goings forth have been of old from everlasting. So when it comes to what really matters in life, what will last? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Everything else that we strive for will come and go. Everything else is temporary. Jesus Christ will last. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? As Rick comes and we prepare for an invitation on him, Maybe you're here and you've never given it much thought about Jesus Christ and where you are with him. Why did, did Emmanuel come to live with us? Because he had a job to do. We were in darkness, lost, hopeless. Sin had disqualified us from ever living with God. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross so you and I could receive the best gift of all, and that's eternal life. Do you have that? Do you know sin's forgiven? Perhaps you're here and you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, some stuff troubling me. It's consuming my whole world. I'm troubled about maybe personal issues, political issues, national issues, what's going on in the world. Let me tell you. Jesus Christ surpasses all of these, and all these fade into obscurity compared with the everlasting glory of Jesus Christ. So where should we really fix our attention? On the one thing that will last, Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing. Number 162.